All right. If you would, take your Bible out and turn to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 20 is where we're going to be this morning. I'll let you know a couple of things slightly different this morning. The first is, if you look on the back of your bulletin, there are just a list of verses Uh, That signifies two things. Number one, I wasn't finished by Thursday when the bulletin was printed. So uh, that's your first first indication there. But I wanted you to have some of those those key scriptures and so you can follow along and look on that. Also to let you know, the sermon will be on the website in manuscript form, and so there's some, there's some website links that I'll mention and things like that, and so if you want access to that, if you just go to our website, fbcbsl.com, and look under the resources, I've got the whole manuscript there. And I'm going to go a little bit more off the manuscript this morning, trying to rely on it, just because I feel such a burden to get the words just right in light of what we're going to be talking about. Uh, Acts chapter 20 isn't going to be on the screen behind us. We're going to have a ton of verses on the screen, but we're going to just have this one verse up there to reflect on. But let's back up a little bit in Acts chapter 20, and we're going to start in verse 13. So if you have your phone open or your Bible open, we're going to start in verse 13. Just before this passage is a famous story about how a guy was listening to Paul preach, and he fell asleep, fell out of the window, died Paul went down to check on him, laid his hands on him, and the man came back to life. There's always a certain fear about reading that scripture in church when you have a balcony. You just don't want to take a chance of uh, something going wrong. And so we're going to skip over that particular portion of Acts chapter 20. And we're going to start in verse 13. Here's what it says. And you'll see we'll get to verse 24 in just a moment. But starting in verse 13, we went on ahead to the ship and sailed for Asus, where we were going to take Paul aboard. He had made this arrangement because he was going there on foot. When he met us at Asus, we took him aboard and went on to Middleene. The next day we set sail from there and arrived off Chios. The day after that we crossed over to Samos and on the following day arrived at Miletus. Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus to avoid spending time in the province of Asia, for he was in a hurry to reach Jerusalem, if possible, by the day of Pentecost. Verse 17, From Miletus, Paul was sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. When they arrived, he said to them, You know how I lived the whole time I was with you, from the first day I came into the province of Asia. I served the Lord with great humility and with tears, and in the midst of severe testing by the plots of my Jewish opponents. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Father, we thank you for this passage. We thank you for all of your word. Thank you for the incredible psalm that Trent and Corey led us in as we reflect on the power of your word and the way that the believers in South Korea are trying to get that word to North Korea and the way that we need that same word to be our foundation today. God, may the words this morning not be my opinion, 
may they not be a speech, but may we rely on the truth and power of your words given to us. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. On Saturday, November 1st, Brittany Maynard died at her home in Portland, Oregon at the age of 29. She was suffering from a severe terminal brain cancer. And knowing the suffering that awaited the final days of her life, she had chosen as part of a larger death with dignity movement to end her life by taking prescribed drugs according to the Oregon state laws. She publicized her impending death on Facebook, through YouTube videos, and an interview with People magazine. In addition, as is common in 2014, her story went viral on the internet. Many people weighed in on Facebook comments and blog posts, some in favor of what she was doing, some opposed to it. I want to be clear about something up front. Our response to her situation must not be judgmental, must not be condescending, must not be condemning. We respond with humble sympathy and brokenness about her suffering and the loss that her family is facing. We mourn with them. We recognize the depth of her suffering. We recognize the hurt that they're facing. And so we, we hesitate to even use her as an example in a sermon because it would feel like we were using or taking advantage of her life. And so please don't hear me doing that this morning. But her death and the way that she publicized her death has brought back some discussions that the church needs to address. Because frankly, if we can't talk about those things here, we have truly become irrelevant. And I believe that God's word has things that we need to hear in light of everything that's been going on on the internet and everything that's been said about this young woman's death. We need to hear from scripture this morning. We need to hear how does this impact our lives. Now we've been going through the book of Acts a chapter at a time and we're on chapter 20 now and what's happening with chapter 20 is Paul is getting ready to return to Jerusalem. He's collected this money and he's going to take it to Jerusalem and so he's been going through this area of Macedonia and he reaches a place called Troas and from Troas he's going to head southeast toward Jerusalem and on his way he passes by Ephesus. Now, Paul has a lot of friends at Ephesus. He has a lot of people he knows there. And so the scripture says he's going to pass by because he's in a hurry. And you might be thinking, well, how rude is that? <laughs> he has all of his friends there. Why does he not go by and see them? Well, do you recognize that some people in your life take up more time than others? Somebody comes to your house or to your office and you think, oh dear, this is going to take a while. <laughs> some people just eat up a, a lot of time. As couples... Uh, you, you realize that if you get in a situation, you need nonverbal codes to get out of those situations. Like you go to a party or you go to somebody's house and you think, oh man, we're never getting out of here. And so you need to have some like baseball signal to let your spouse know we've got to get out of here. Like this is going to last way too long. Well, Paul, in his day and age, you couldn't just stop by somebody's house. When you went by their house, you spent hours if not days with them. And Paul is in a hurry, and so he knows he doesn't have time to go to Ephesus, so he goes to Miletus. And he has some of the leaders of the church, some of the elders come out, and he gives them what amounts to a farewell speech. A farewell speech, when you pour out what's most important to you. That's essentially what Brittany Maynard 
did with her life. She gave a series of farewell speeches so that we would know what was most important to her. Now, there are so many components to Paul's speech in Acts chapter 20. Here's my challenge to you. After the saints beat the 49ers here in just a little bit, would you pull out your Bible? Would you pull out your Bible and look at Acts chapter 20? There is so much here and so little we're going to be able to cover this morning. Make a commitment that before you go to bed tonight, you're going to read Paul's speech in Acts chapter 20 and ask yourself, be hungry to know how God speaks to us. But there's only one verse we're going to look at this morning. One verse. Even before I heard the name Brittany Maynard, even before I saw what was going on on Facebook and online, God had drawn me to verse 24. Here it says, it's back on the screen again. It says, I consider my life worth nothing to me. If only, or my only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. So what is Paul saying here? Well, he's not saying that his life was worthless, even though it would be easy to read it that way. And he's not even saying that he feels his life is worthless. Paul doesn't have low self-esteem at this point. In fact, it's just the opposite. Life is so valuable to Paul, and he knows his days are short, and so he says, I am only going to live my life for one purpose. He says this a couple other places in Scripture. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Listen to how Paul says this in 2 Corinthians. I I love this verse in 2 Corinthians 5. Christ died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Paul isn't searching for purpose in life. He has his purpose in life, and he is going to give everything to it. Now the question is, what is the purpose? Well, it says there in verse 24 that my only aim is to finish the race. This is the same phrase that shows up in 2 Timothy chapter 4 as Paul is writing his last letter. 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul talks about how he's going to finish the race. I love the fact that Paul used athletic imagery. I love sports, I love athletics, but I have to confess to you, I'm not a big runner, especially long-distance running. Um, at this stage of my life, I mainly run when my kids are chasing me. Uh, that's about the, uh, the extent of it. Back in college, though, in Oklahoma, I was trying to get in shape, trying to do some running, and so I was out running one day, and our college was located just down the road from a rival university. We were the Baptist school, and there was a Catholic university right down the road from us. And so I was out running, and I was headed back toward my apartment when I heard something behind me. And I turned around, and it was the ladies' cross-country team from our rival university. So I realized there's a good chance that I'm going to be caught. I'm being chased by this girls' cross-country team, and so this is either my worst nightmare or my dream come true. I'm not sure which one at the point, because I only have a few options at this point. I can pull over and act like I'm finished running and start doing some fake stretches and things like that and let them, let them pass me, or, or I can fake an injury and maybe get some sympathy and a phone number and things like that. This was before Amanda and I were, were together. Um, 
So I can fake an injury at this point, or I can just run the fastest half mile I've ever run in my life to make it back to my apartment. So I panicked, I took off running, and by God's grace, I made it to my apartment just as their team passed me. They probably slowed down just so I wouldn't lose my man card, but uh, it, it, was, it was serious business. When you run, when you run, you run with a purpose. My purpose was to get to my apartment before the girls' cross-country team caught me. Paul's purpose, the reason he runs, is he says he has to complete a task. The word for task here is also connected to the word for ministry. What is the ministry? In verse 24, it says, The task the Lord Jesus has given me of testifying to the good news of God's grace. That word testifying in verse 24 is connected to the word for witness that is used in Acts chapter 1 verse 8 where God says you are going to be my witnesses. You're going to testify. And so Paul is going to testify to the gospel, to the good news of God's grace. That all of us, every single one of us is broken by sin. We live in a broken world. Our lives are broken by sin. And because of that, we deserve death. We deserve separation from God, but because of his grace. Grace is a word that means gift. God did something for us that we could not do for ourselves. By his grace, we have been saved. We have been rescued. And Paul is so overwhelmed by this message. He is so overwhelmed by this reality in his life that he says, my life is worth nothing if I don't spend it telling people about how great God's grace is. Now, what does this have to do with Brittany Maynard? What does this have to do with the Death with Dignity movement? Many of her comments and much of the Death with Dignity movement revolve around a person's autonomy. What we mean by autonomy is that we can make whatever decisions we want, whenever we want, especially if those decisions make us happy and make sure we avoid all suffering. It's really about showing that you're in control of your life and you can do whatever you want. Now, it's certainly true. Hear me clearly here, okay? God did not make us puppets. God did not make us puppets. We make decisions. But the question is, what drives those decisions? You see, the way we view life, where life comes from, why life exists will have everything to do with how we approach death. And if we believe that life comes from God, then we will live it for him. If we believe that life is our own to do whatever we want with, then we will make whatever decisions we want to make at that particular time. What does this look like in scripture? We're going to walk through a bunch of verses on the screen right here. Here's the first thing. From the very beginning, we have to realize that life comes from God. He is the one who gives life. He is the one who shapes our life. He is the one who is ultimately in control of our life. Psalm chapter 139. These verses will sound very familiar to you probably. You formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book, listen to this phrase. In your book were written, guys, can you bring the verse up on the screen unless our PowerPoint went down maybe on us? Um, 
in your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. God gave our life, God has written the pages of our life, and so it would be an affront to God to say, my life is my own, I will end it whenever I want. The second thing is that if our life comes from God, if our bodies are from God, then we use our life for God. Listen to this verse from Colossians chapter 1, verse 16. It says, all things were created through him and for him. So my life comes from God and my life is to be used for God. But more than that, God didn't just give us our lives, but when in sin our lives became broken, God made a way for us to have new life. Romans chapter 5, verse 8. God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And then I want you to look at 2 Corinthians 5 again. We've already seen this verse already, but look at it again. Christ died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. God gives our lives. Our lives should be lived for him. And even when our lives are broken by sin, God gives us new life because of Jesus. And yet, here's the rub. That life that Christ gives, that new eternal life that he gives, as we live in this world, there is going to be suffering. There are going to be valleys. You are going to be chased by girls cross-country teams. Maybe not. But there are going to be things in your life that are going to be difficult and hard. And part of that is facing the reality of death. Facing the fact that we are mortal beings living in a fallen world. What do we do with that? How, how do we handle that reality? Well, here's the thing. We will face suffering. And we will face death. But we do not have to fear the effects of suffering and death. The penalty of suffering and death. It is not a death with dignity movement. It is a death with victory movement that we are a part of. Death with dignity says this life is all I have. So I'm going to do with it whatever I want to. Death with victory says my pain, my suffering, my death has been taken by Christ and the only thing I have in death is ultimate victory because of Jesus. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, this incredible resurrection passage that we're actually going to look at next week when we get back together on Sunday. But 1 Corinthians 15, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The only sting of death is sin, and the only power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then look at what Paul says in Philippians 1.21. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I live, I live for Christ. If I die, I gain so much more because of Christ. The only option is not wasting the life that I have right now. Because I'm not just wasting my life, I'm wasting the life that Christ gave for me. It's common for us to say, hey, don't waste your life. You look at your teenagers, you look at your kids, you look at people and they have all this potential and you say, don't waste your life. But for a Christian, what we're really saying is don't waste Christ's life. 
He gave his life for you so that you would have new life in him. And everything we do, we live for him and because of him. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 20. You are not your own. You were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. Suffering and death are real. They're a reality that all of us face, but they are not ultimate. And they are not final. If you are going through a time of suffering, if you are facing that reality in your family, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 through 18 is, is a huge, key text. It's going to be up on the screen, but it's a great text to be able to send to others, to refer other people to. Here's what it says. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, they're passing away, but the things that are unseen are eternal. And then look at Revelation 21.4. Revelation 21.4 says, God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. God gives life. Life is to be lived for him. When our lives are broken by sin, God rescues and redeems us. And we live with the reality that we have victory over suffering and death because of who Jesus is and because of what he's done for us. Now, when you take that whole sweep, what are some things we can take away from this? What are some of those practical applications? Well, here's the first one. Here's one. This discussion, this whole discussion about Brittany Maynard, about death with dignity, has a huge impact on how we view handicapped persons and how we view the elderly. As Christians, as Christians, we don't value life because of what someone can accomplish or because of their ability to face life with the least suffering possible. We live in a world that so values personal accomplishments that so values personal health and the absence of suffering that the value of life is ultimately diminished. But this flies in the face of what it means to be made in the image of God. It, it flies in the face of what Christ has done for us on the cross. Life has meaning because of the victory of the cross and the resurrection, not because of what we can accomplish in life. As Christians, as a church, we are very close to the point that we just simply need to repent of the way that we have treated and thought about handicapped persons, the way we have treated and so often pushed to the side those who are elderly and can't do things anymore. That has no place. It has no place in what it means to be a Christian. And, and this brings some really difficult issues to the forefront. How do you care for the couple who has the impending birth of a child where you already know that child is facing mental and physical difficulties? How do you walk with that child? How do you speak to the wife who is sitting next to her husband who is in suffering and is near death? What do you say, what do you say to her? What do you say to the person who is fighting severe depression, fighting severe mental illness? Those aren't easy questions. 
But it goes back to that foundation that God is the one who has given life. And every life given by God is created in his image and is to be used for his glory. Sin has wrecked our world. Sin says, leave God out of the equation. Just make the most of it. Try not to suffer too much. The cross says, your suffering has been taken care of. The cross says, death has no power over you. Jesus was resurrected. He has new life that he gives to you. And so we don't face these things in the same way the world does. We, we suffer, we face death, but we face it with the reality of a hope that be, goes beyond that suffering. Here's the second thing. What about the issue of suicide? Now, I know this gets very personal. In, in fact, I would go so far to say that probably every person here has been impacted in some way by the reality of suicide. And, and there are some comments out there that maybe we shouldn't even, we shouldn't even consider Brittany Maynard's death a suicide. And so we're going to leave that aside for right now. But we still have to ask the question, what do we do about this issue of, of suicide? Well, for starters, we, we just have to be open and honest with one another. The church hasn't always done a great job being a safe place for people to express their struggles, especially their struggles when it comes to an issue of mental illness or, or depression. If you break your arm, somebody brings you a casserole. If your mind is out of whack, somebody shuts you off because they just don't know how to interact with you. We, we live in a world where it's so hard to understand these issues of mental illness and depression and, and people who are facing the pain of, of suicide and their family. And so we have to come back to the fact that we're not going to throw out simplistic answers. We're going to walk with people through these situations. If you have friends or family members who are dealing with the reality of suicide, there, there are two good resources out there. Well, there are a lot of resources out there, but two that I could point you to quickly. The first is a man named Rick Warren who is the pastor of a large church in Southern California. Within the last year, Rick Warren's son committed suicide. And it's easy to look at somebody who's the pastor of a church of 25,000 people and say, well, I bet his family doesn't have any trouble. They had trouble. His son went through decades of depression and, and mental illness that ultimately ended in suicide. And Rick and his, way, his wife, Kay, have offered some incredible guidance for families. You can find that if you go to their website. I've got the link on our website. If you just go look at the sermon, you can link to it. But they, they did a sermon series on grief not long after their son died. And there's some incredible resources for family. The second is there's a man named Frank Page. Frank Page is one of the leaders in the Southern Baptist Convention. Our church is a part of a grouping of churches called the Southern Baptist Convention. And Frank Page, his daughter Melissa, committed suicide at the age of 32. And he wrote a book simply called Melissa. And then there's a, a subtitle, I don't remember off the top of my head. But he wrote this book to help families who are working through this tragedy, who are working through this horror. Let me just say two things really quickly uh, about suicide, and then we'll move on to the next thing. The first is, if you're facing depression— if you're living in darkness and feel like you're at the end of the rope, please, please seek out help. Everything inside you says nobody understands. Everything inside of you says, I'm just going to go to the side and maybe people forget me. Do not do that. It's not about trying harder, but we want to walk with you. We want you to experience the grace of God in your life. It's not easy. Simple answers don't work, but we have to be in this together. Here's the second thing. 
There's a lot of confusion about suicide and how it relates to a person going to heaven or not. Suicide is not a sin that automatically keeps someone out of heaven, okay? That's not the way it works. Sometimes there's this idea that if you commit suicide, you've somehow, no matter what happened before, you've kept yourself out of heaven, you'll never be able to go to heaven. Scripture teaches nothing of that sort. The reality is, the reality is that your final decision on earth is not the thing that determines whether or not you go to heaven. We are made right with God. We have eternal life with God because of Jesus. And if we repent of our sins and put our trust in him, we have that life secure. A person's final decision on earth might be murder, might be suicide, might be adultery, might be stealing. It could be any of those things, but a person's final act on earth is not what determines their eternal state. It doesn't determine their standing before God. Now, there's a little bit of difference here between Protestant churches, Baptist churches like ours, and the Catholic church. And and I want to always be so careful to be respectful, to not be demeaning uh, toward our, our Catholic friends. But let me just deal with this just for a second. The Catholic church changed their teaching back in the 1960s with something called Vatican II. If you grew up in a Catholic church or you have Catholic friends or family, the 1960s were a complete change for a lot of things dealing with the Catholic church with Vatican II. Before the 1960s in the Catholic church, suicide was very close to being something that just automatically, not completely, but very close to being automatic, you you don't go to heaven. Since then, the Catholic church has taken an approach that's more the case that because of God's grace and his goodness, he might somehow provide repentance, an opportunity for repentance after death. And so we're supposed to pray for those who have died so that they will have an opportunity to repent and be made right with God. And, and if you read Vatican II, there's, a, there's admittance there that's kind of a mystery. It's, it's hard to navigate what that looks like. And you can go online and see, see that wording exactly. But my point to you, My point to you is that our hope, our hope right now is not that we would have a chance to repent after death because scripture very clearly teaches that man is destined to die once and then face judgment. There's no indication of repentance after death. There's no indication of praying for those who have died that God might have grace on them. The thing that determines our standing with God is how we respond to Jesus right now. And so what we all have to face is our eternal security. What is our standing with God as we face death? Look at these verses from Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9, verses 27 to 28. Just as is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, Not to deal with sin. He's already done that already. That happens before death. Not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. As we close this morning, I want to introduce you to another person who hasn't gotten nearly as much media play as Brittany Maynard has. There's a boy named Ethan Hallmark. Ethan Hallmark died September 26th at the age of 13. Ethan lived in Midlothian, Texas. 
He loved baseball. He has three siblings. And he wanted to be a doctor when he grew up. Ethan was originally diagnosed with cancer at the age of nine. He achieved remission several times over the last few years, but ultimately died a few weeks ago when the tumors reemerged. You can see Ethan's story if you go to the website called IamSecond.com, or I've got it linked on our sermon. If you just go and find the sermon online, you can, you can follow that link, but it's, it's on there with the IamSecond.com videos. I would encourage you to watch this video. Watch it with a mega-sized box of Kleenex, uh, just as a warning. The video is powerful, but it's life-giving. What you will find is someone who is impacted, who has impacted his friends, his classmates, his community. Listen to what he said before his death. Listen to what this seventh grader. Seventh graders say very few profound things, so this is a big deal, okay? Listen to what this seventh grader said. Keep putting your faith in God. And always remember he is with you, even in the depths of suffering. God is good. And then he said to his dad, I'll compose myself just a minute here. He says, my biggest fear isn't dying. My biggest fear is that others will blame God for my death and not believe in him. I don't want people angry at God or even believing or, or even blaming him. I mean, there is so much more than just this life. Just because he didn't heal me on earth doesn't mean he won't heal me in heaven. As Brittany Maynard faced her death, she talked about putting good energy out into the universe. She talked about paying it forward. That was, that was her perspective, the way that she was thinking about, about life and death. Ethan didn't talk about putting good energy out into the universe. He didn't talk about paying it forward. He was a seventh grader who pointed people to Jesus as their hope and their foundation for dealing with suffering and death. Our life, our life is worth nothing to us unless we spend it testifying to the good news of God's grace.